right, everybody. Uh, I hope everybody's having a fantastic morning, noon, or night, wherever you guys are in the world. Crip Nation, you are certainly in the right place today because we have an incredible guest who's got just some insight that, that most people don't have. And you know, most people you know, don't even know half of what Adi knows. So we are joined by a former Alameda uh, employee and trader, and we're going to get into that background, uh, as well as the CEO and founder of a new project called Astra. So Adi Baradwaj, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. How are you doing today, my man? Thank you for having me, Bryce. Um, I'm doing great, doing great. Uh, yeah, just uh, just happy to happy to be on and happy to chat with you guys. Awesome. Well, let's let's rewind and, and start from the beginning. Uh, you know, we I want to spend a good chunk of time talking about uh, two things: FTX and, and what the heck happened. Um, but also, I want to spend some time on you know your learnings from that and and what you're building at Astra. But let's go ahead and start with from the beginning. Um, you're an ex Google engineer. How did you find yourself working for Sam Bankman Fried at Alameda Research, and, and when did that all start? Yeah, so I, I um, used to work at Google as a software engineer on the Google Analytics infrastructure team, and um, I was there for a few years. And uh, you know, had always kind of been interested in uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain more from the point of view of like you know um, understanding consensus protocols and things like that. Um, you know, basically all the consensus mechanisms underlying all these different blockchains and L2s, and that was a passive interest of mine over the past several years. Um, and then after a few years at Google, I decided to look for a new job. And actually, I, I was not looking for anything um, in crypto specifically. I was looking for just drop, uh, excuse me, jobs kind of in the trading space more generally. And I applied to a bunch of trading mm-hmm. firms. And one of the places I applied to was this small crypto trading firm uh, called Alameda Research. Um, and of course, you know, at the time, I didn't really know that much about the company. This was before, you know, before kind of all the press about the company, before uh, SBF became a big public figure. Um, this was before so I, even probably FTX was invented. <laughs> the, uh, the, this was, uh, it, FTX had been invented, I think. It had been kind of growing for a couple of years, um, but it was not kind of the, the, the huge, big, uh, you know, like very public uh, retail focused exchange that it was towards the end. It was still very much, you know, a niche product for pro traders at that time. Yeah. Um, so, so I applied, you know, did the whole interview stuff, ended up joining Alameda. Um, I was really attracted to uh, the vision of effective altruism, which was a big part of the company's culture. Um, and, um, you what know, everyone. That? Yeah. So effective altruism is, is, is the belief system that many people at Alameda uh, believed in, which is the idea that um, one of the best things you can do is to is to try to make a lot of money and then donate that to the most effective charities. And uh, the idea is that this can actually do much more good if you actually measure the outcomes of these donations compared to what might intuitively feel good. For example, you know, doing volunteering or volunteering your time uh, towards charities. Mm. Um, so it's kind of it's it's a slightly counterintuitive belief system where it's like you know actually making money is is not bad because if you use it to to donate to effective causes you're then funding people who are able to go and do research and go and do outreach and do um you know actual like on the ground work that is benefiting you know people who are say poor or disadvantaged or suffering from diseases and stuff like that oh 
Very cool. And so, so everybody kind of shared that same vision. Um, you're like, oh, wow, I, I jive with these guys and gals. Um, so you, they hired you, you jumped on board. What was your role at, F, or at um, Alameda? Yeah, um, I was a software engineer at Alameda Research, um, and uh, you know, basically, I was I was part of a small team of of, of four engineers, and we were uh, basically building, maintaining um, the entirety of Alameda's trading systems. Got it. And so, um, so Sam Bakeman Fried, he he started Alameda Research. Um, he was you know started at Jane Street doing all that stuff, um, which is another high frequency trading firm. Then he started his hedge fund, and then he started. FTX. So you were on the early trading team at his hedge fund where, um, you know, I guess what kind of uh, trading strategies were were common uh, that you guys would employ? Yeah. Um, so Alameda Research uh, mainly focused on, you know, statistical arbitrage type strategies in the kind of high to medium frequency uh, range. That's kind of the, the the style of trading which they employed. Uh, we had semi-automated systems, so not not fully systematic like some trading firms, but also not discretionary like like several hedge funds. It was kind of in the mm-hmm. middle where we had we had traders who would make decisions on, um, you know, say putting on positions or, or or setting various parameters for our trading systems, and we had bots that would take these parameters and turn that into actual orders uh, to place on different exchanges. Interesting. And um, was there a lot of success in those early days? I mean, I saw, um, you know, that Sam Bankman-Fried uh, would promise and guarantee certain returns. And, and uh, when he was fundraising, there was lots of guarantees. So I imagine in the early days, there was quite some success with those strategies. Can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah. So my, my understanding, you know, just based on, um, you know, like, like internal, internal um, hearsay from other employees and also just reading public stuff about the company is uh, the company was essentially started uh, by this, you know, significant arbitrage that existed between the price of Bitcoin on U.S. exchanges and Japanese exchanges. Um, and there was a trade that the company did uh, that, that Sam did, I guess, back then, way, you know, way back in 2017 or 18. Where they basically closed that gap, so they they you know they bought Bitcoin in one market, sold it in the other market, and and made a ton of profit off of this price difference which existed, and that was sort of what started the company. As you can imagine, you know, with with, with the price difference as significant as that was, that was highly profitable for the company, um, and that's what provided the initial funding for Alameda Research, um, uh, the actual entity. Uh, and they were trading for several years. I mean, the company was was highly profitable. There were ups and downs. You know, one thing that's come out recently, uh, which is being uh, which has been discussed in Michael Lewis's book, and also um, I believe has been discussed in, in in the trial that's currently going on, is the fact mm-hmm. that uh, there were times in Alameda's history where the firm almost ran out of money, right? So there were there were some pretty high highs, but there were also some. Uh, fairly low lows for the company. And there were times when it almost went out of business, but in the long run, it was making a lot of money. It was very profitable um, right up until the end. And of course, you know, there's there's um, all kinds of stuff that's come out recently about, you know, um, th- there was, of course, Alameda Research, the trading entity, but also there was uh, this kind of unfortunate fact, which is that it seems like SBF was basically using Alameda's funds as his own private piggy bank, so to speak, um, and was making all kinds of investments, all kinds of venture investments, um, and 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 other bets 
that were unrelated to Alameda's core business or FTX's core business. And um, mm. one thing that people are talking about now is how that may have been a significant factor in what caused the company to collapse in the end. Wow. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, there is, there's so much uh, that went wrong. You know, I think primarily FTX um, kind of granting Alameda what seems to be, um, you know, special privileges, right? D- uh, non liquidatable accounts, um, withdrawals of, of any amount and all that kind of stuff. And again, this is just what I'm hearing in, from the court case and, and some of the awesome reporters um, that are you know, there and reporting back. But I guess, at what point did you kind of call bullshit or at least smell bullshit? Um, when were you like, this is, I got to get out of here. Yeah, um, I would say for me and, and really for all of the employees of Alameda, as far as I know, uh, we thought that everything was going great right up until the very end. Right. So we were, you know, doing you our were jobs there through like, like November 2022. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I was I was there okay. right up until, you know, basically like early to mid November, uh, which is when, you know, we had this the, this one um, event where, where, where Caroline basically sat us all down. That is all the employees of Alameda. And she mm-hmm. uh, she basically gave us her confession. Um, which is now being um, it's now been reported in well well it's been it's been it's been reported by many news agencies and also it's uh, it's been discussed in the trial that's going on uh, and yeah, this happened on yeah yeah so that uh, yeah I think I think the audio recording also is is circulating publicly now and um, mm. that happened I think on November 9th uh, in the evening Hong Kong time and pretty soon after that all of us resigned and we went back to our home countries. And that was really the focal point for all of us when we realized, okay, there's something seriously wrong going on at this company. And right up until that point, or you know, really until maybe a day before that point, there was no indication whatsoever for any of us uh, that there was something wrong with the company. So we were, we were, you know, right up until that point, we were super excited about the company, about our jobs, about um, about really everything, and we were seeing, you know, all this fear and and doubt uh, on Twitter and in the media. Um, you know, a few things that had been uh, uh, reported on in the week leading up to this collapse was, you know, Alameda's balance sheet, for example, right? And mm-hmm. and there was um, uh, this announcement by CZ that he'd be selling all of Binance's FTT. And these were things mm-hmm. that, you know, we saw these and, 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 and we still thought, oh, like, this is probably just, you know, people talking shit about the company. This happens every day, right? We see people right. say negative things about Alameda and FTX every day on Twitter, every day in the news. So it was nothing new to us. Uh, and we assumed that this was just like any any other of those days. Um, of course, what we didn't know was was what Caroline eventually told us um, on uh, on November 9th. And uh, basically, after that, we realized that there was no future for the company, and we all left. And how did you feel in that moment? Was, you know, if you could encapsulate your emotions after that call, what, was it more shock? Was it sadness and feelings of betrayal? Like, what was going through your mind? Anger? It was a combination of <laughs> it was it was all all of the above all of the above I would say yeah. you know shock uh, shock for sure anger uh, surprise I mean disappointment right there was significant disappointment uh, because we we realized that Caroline had known these things for a while and she hadn't told us I mean no one had told us right and it's it sounded like there was this core group um, of Sam Caroline Nishad and Gary maybe a few others we 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 sort of had no idea at that point um, what the extent of the damage was. 
And it seemed mm-hmm. like they had been making these really big, really risky decisions behind everyone's backs without telling the company, even though that is a significant piece of information that would affect, you know, whether we stayed at the company or left, that would affect whether we, you know, even wanted to uh, continue associating with these people, right? Um, and they mm-hmm. knew that, and that's why it was kept hidden from all of us. Do you remember the worst day of trading uh, for Alameda outside of uh, November? Was it really that Luna collapse? Um, I I hear reports that uh, a lot of Alameda's uh, negative carry um, really started during that collapse. Um, Would you say that was the worst day? And if so, kind of walk us through what that day was like. Yeah, um, my impression is that the worst trading day in terms of trading PNL was actually not during the Luna collapse. I think, in fact, we we may have been net positive at the end of Luna just based on the positions that we had going into the whole um, affair. Like we were not super long UST or Luna up until that point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what did happen as a result of the Luna collapse was uh, a bunch of the lenders who we had taken out significant amounts of loans from they were affected by the Luna collapse. And so those lenders, Mm. they ended up recalling their loans. These were open-term loans, so they could be recalled at any point. Um, And that was the start of what triggered the collapse of the company. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, because Got because it. It, it turns out that what had happened was uh, SPF had taken these huge loans and he had used these to make several illiquid um, and risky venture investments, and there were several billions and they were of these investments by FTT tokens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they were collateralized. I think mostly by FTT. I'm not I'm not sure what the exact distribution of collateral was, but my impression is that uh, there was some significant portion of FTT that was collateral for those loans. Wow. 
Man, yeah, yeah I saw I saw um, BlockFi. Uh, there, there was something with BlockFi how they had loaned money, but also kept their money on FTX, and so they kind of yeah. got it from both <laughs> ends during that period. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, that's that's um, really unfortunate for them, and and uh, yeah, yeah, they got they got screwed both ways. Yeah. So, so yeah, most people, you know, have kind of been following along with the trial. Um, you know, if, if, if you kind of look at it, if, you, if it all boils down to, to one thing, it could be, you know, those open term loans that got recalled from the Luna crash. Um, maybe it could be, you know, all these customer funds that were being used. Like, how would you boil down everything? Like, I think people at the end of the day are just like, where'd the money go? Like, was it these donations? Was it the bad trading? Like, where's the money? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, so I don't have the, I don't have the full picture of myself, right? All I have is, you know, I've, I've been trying to piece things together based on what I know from being on the inside and also just, you know, talking to my former colleagues, uh, looking at the, you know, reports from the DOJ investigation, following the trial, reading Mm -hmm. um, all the books and stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to piece it together myself. I mean, at, at a high level, like what happened, I mean, the, the, the really the core bad thing that happened was the fact that, you know, there were all these customers who had their deposits in FTX and the, mm-hmm. the reasonable expectation for anyone depositing their funds at a crypto exchange is that it is it is held um, in custody by the exchange and should be available for withdrawal at any point. And it should function sort of as, uh, collateral, which the user is depositing for their trades, it should not function as you know an interest-free loan that the user is giving to the company to let them do whatever they want with it, right? And it turns out that that's exactly what they were doing. So it turns out that uh, what Sam was doing with this money was he was essentially you know using it to make several um, uh, illiquid and risky venture investments, along with a bunch of other um, investments and purchases. I mean, one one thing that's coming out actually in the, in the past couple of days of the trial is just how much he spent on marketing and all of the deals that he made with celebrities, uh, with buying the the um, the Miami Stadium. Uh, all of these sponsorships, the Super Bowl ad, I mean, all of these cost a lot of money, right? And it turns out that this was coming from a combination of, you know, probably customer deposits and also these loans, which the company had taken out, which made it highly, highly uh, leveraged. And so the answer, I think, is that, you know, there was probably a lot of money that went towards uh, marketing expenditure um, and stuff like that. And there was probably another big chunk of money that went towards, um, I know there was about $2 billion that was spent on, paying back um, early investors to, to repurchase their equity. So Binance, I think, got, got a big chunk of um, of those funds in return for basically buying out their equity. And there was several billion spent on various venture investments. I mean, FTX Ventures was launched, um, I think, early in 2022. And they, they, were, they basically went on a spending spree, right? They were buying all kinds of things. They were, they were investing in all kinds of projects. Um, and the answer, I think, is that's where the money went. It was it's kind of spread all over the place. There's a bunch of um, investments, most of, most of which are illiquid and which cannot be turned into cash immediately. And so that's where the customer funds are stuck. Is my is my understanding. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, you know, there it seems like there's no limit to uh, the craziness of some of these expenditures. And so I, I like honestly, um, I wouldn't be surprised if there is you know, like a billion here, a billion there that's tucked into some corner that none of us have heard about. And um, I'm hoping that the trial will bring that stuff to light. Yeah. Talk about a, um, 
a duration mismatch using yeah. <laughs> uh, basically short-term open-ended loans for, yeah. for long-term illiquid venture. I mean, it's just about as stupid as, yeah. as anybody, do, let alone with money that's not yours, right? Like, yeah, yeah. it's just crazy. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, so everybody, you know, everybody would watch Sam and, you know, think, you know, he's jittery and he's all over the place, but you know, he, he seems like a smart guy. He's built these multi-billion dollar companies. I think at the peak, um, FTX was valued at $32 billion. Everybody who was anybody, um, you know, was invested in them or using the platform and Hey, the platform worked really good. Um, so, so I think a lot of people inherently trusted him. Um, but I'm curious, like behind the scenes, what was he like? Did you kind of view him as like, you know, wow, he is actually a really smart trader and he gets it and he's my boss and he's, he's like godlike? Or were you like, you know, what people see in the media is one thing, but behind the closed doors, like he's not actually that smart. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, I'll be honest. I'm not going to go back and rewrite history. I, I liked him, right? Um, a lot of us really liked him. We, we, we believed in him. We, we thought he was a really smart guy. And honestly, he probably is like a pretty smart guy, right? And, and, and the unfortunate reality is that none of that stuff even like relates to, I guess, the bad thing that happened, which is, you know, you, you can be smart, you can be motivated, you can be someone who is genuinely capable of building two like multi tens of billions of dollars businesses in the span of about five years. And still you can be the kind of person that, um, um, I guess, does what he did, you know, this, this fraudulent misuse of customer funds. And that's the unfortunate reality, right? Is that he, he you know, we, we, we all did like him. We did believe in him. We did stand behind him. Uh, and and we, we, we all genuinely thought that he was going to be, you know, and, and that he was going to have an immensely positive impact on the world. And and we, we were all happy to be part of the company, right? We believed in FTX. We believed in Alameda and the company's vision. Um, and, and that's kind of the unfortunate reality is, in a sense, he was able to misuse that trust that all these people put in him. Right. There was, of course, you know, us, the employees, but also the customers, right? In terms of using the platform, there was yeah. some implicit trust there. The investors, of course, right? And, and now it's coming out that they, they may have made uh, misrepresentations to investors while trying to raise money, even like right up until the very end. So there's mm-hmm. all this trust that was placed in the company and Sam in particular. And it seems like that was just egregiously uh, misused. Yeah. And I guess, I, I mean, I, I want to talk about his parents. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, they are these legal experts that were professors at Stanford, very kind of esteemed in their own respective field of law. I think, or maybe I shouldn't say I think, but I should ask, do you think that he got some of his nefarious boldness in terms of his overall scheme from these lawyers, I and mean, his dad particularly was a tax lawyer and specialized in jurisdictional sort of arbitrage and all this kind of stuff. I mean, Sam is a trader, but his parents were really these structured sort of, um, you know, capital markets, or his dad was, and his mom was some other kind of lawyer. But um, what do you think about his parents and their involvement potentially? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, I I, I don't want to speculate, right? I mean, there, I, I like I really just don't have enough information, I think, to make a like a proper assessment about that. Um, I've I've had very limited interaction with his parents. I I briefly met his dad a couple of times in the Bahamas. Haven't haven't really uh, met his mom at all. Um, and um, 
you know, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. My, my, my general impression is that like, it seemed like Sam was definitely like the big boss, right? It, it, it did not seem like there was, you know, someone pulling the strings of Sam or whatever. Um, okay. In fact, it seemed it seemed very much, you know, just based on my interactions with his dad, that his dad was just really, you know, proud of his son and 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 what he had accomplished. Which, you know, given given the reverence that Sam had at that time, uh, and just like the popular appeal that he had, and 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 the fact that his face was on the cover of all these magazines, like I can see why his dad would have felt that way. Um, and my impression was just that they, you know, I'm 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 sure they helped him in, in some in some ways with the legal aspects of the company right I, like like I, I i think it's been discussed in um in the trial that his dad maybe had a role with like some of the structuring of legal entities but mm-hmm. what makes me think that they were probably not kind of the masterminds of this is the fact that what happened was not some you know complicated like legal tax arbitrage it was just plain old fashioned misuse of customer funds right and and they almost didn't even try to disguise it that hard, right? It, like, like, like they, they basically just, you know, it, it seems like what they did was they just took the money and used it to do a bunch of stuff that explicitly they were not supposed to do based on the FTX terms of service. Um, and just given how brazen that is, and given how sort of obvious it is in hindsight, uh, my guess is that you know there wasn't some complicated like legal tax thing going on behind the scenes. But maybe there was. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't have enough information to assess that. Do you think um, you know justice is going to be served at the end of the day? And I mean, who are we to say what you know what defines justice and all that kind of stuff? We're not we're not judges, and we're certainly not um, God or anything. But you know, how would you kind of think that this whole thing um, is going to end? Like, do you think he's going to go to jail? I think I think it's quite likely. Um, I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not a lawyer either. I, I you know, I, I certainly hope that justice will be served, whatever that means, um, and mm-hmm. and you know, what, like whatever form that takes. Um, I will say that I'm not I'm not someone who is, you know, rooting for him to face like physical violence or anything like that, right? I mean, there, there's a lot of right. people who are really bloodthirsty, um, especially on the internet and on Twitter, and I think uh, the fact that you can be anonymous and voice certain opinions definitely contributes to, I think, the the vitriol that you see online. Um, I don't, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not rooting for him to be beat up or whatever in prison. I, I, I do hope that he kind of sees why what he did was wrong. I'm hoping that mm-hmm. all the truth comes out. You know, even, even now, it's unfortunate that uh, just the kinds of things that uh, Sam's defense is saying, right? They're trying to, they're trying to blame this whole thing on Caroline, or they're trying to claim that Sam somehow didn't know what was going on at his own company, even though it's 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 well established based on all the evidence and based on the experience that all of us had at the company that uh, Sam was very much you know aware of what was going on and he was sort of the the main boss uh, both at FTX and at Alameda. And so the fact that now the defense is trying to backtrack and be like, no, actually Sam, you know, had no idea what was going on is is really kind of funny and unfortunate. Um, I do hope that we get a moment of you know, just like sober and honest clarity from Sam, although I'm not, you know, I'm not holding my breath, right? I, I you know, I'm, I'm not expecting something like that to, to, to happen. Um, but that's what I would wish for is, is just that, you know, all the facts get out there and people are able to make their own determinations about what happened um, and how they want to feel about it. Yeah, absolutely. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Um, you know, I, I, I want to go back to the, to the Luna um, debacle because there was lots of speculation from uh, Suzu, who was a uh, founder and kind of manager uh, of his hedge fund, Three Arrows Capital. And he came out with a lot of vitriol, again, uh, towards Sam Bankman-Fried and Alameda Research that, um, you know, they were targeting Three Arrows Capital's, you know, positions and, and you know, trade, you know, front running them and all that kind of stuff. Um, w- was any of that founded uh, or, or was it just all unfounded accusations? Um, and, and furthermore, you know, Suzu has just been arrested um, in the Singapore airport. Um, so who knows if really what he has to say ha- has much merit, but I'm curious, um, were, were you guys, you know, counter trading his positions? Uh, not, not that I know of. I mean, I'm not, I'm not aware of any, I, I don't even think we had the ability to, you know, kind of select like a particular counterparty, like on an exchange and, and trade against their positions. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate here. Right. I mean, there's, uh, there, there's all kinds of stuff that it seems like was going on behind the scenes that that none of yeah. us were really aware of. Um, so my my, my my vague understanding is that uh, no, like I think it's probably unfounded, but I'm not sure. And also, it's it's it, you know it's it's kind of funny to see all the people coming out of the woodwork after the company has collapsed, sort of after the fact, um, mm-hmm. and making all these accusations. You know, it's it's very easy to do that after the fact. Um, I do wish that they had you know, brought this stuff out before, right? That, that could have helped a lot of us in many ways um, in terms of like realizing the true nature of this company, realizing the true nature of, of Sam uh, and maybe cutting our ties with them. Uh, mm. But of course, this stuff is a lot easier in hindsight. And and um, I guess that's, that's the way it is, right? So you're going to see a lot of people throw, throwing all kinds of accusations, claiming that they knew what was going to happen, claiming that they saw this coming. Uh, how How truthful or valid are these accusations? I'm not sure. So yeah, I mean this was this was a, a big learning experience for you, uh, I imagine. Um, you know, what what did you learn from all this, um, and what could traders and crypto investors kind of glean from this tragedy? Yeah, I think I think the big thing for me, you know, I I, I briefly touched on how like my goal really is to is to see justice served and to see the truth get out there. Um, what I mean by that specifically is like I think rooting for you know, violence or rooting for like a specific amount of jail time or whatever is not that productive because it doesn't help us learn from our mistakes, right? And I think really what we should be trying to do here is think about what were the factors that enabled this sort of thing to happen? Like, why was it the case that all of these people were, you know, and and trusting this one person with all of their money and it turns out that he basically had infinite discretion to do what he wanted with that money without basically anyone knowing, including the investors who did due diligence, including the employees who are working on the actual thing, right? I think the question that that I want answered is not how do we punish people maximally, but instead, how do we learn from this mistake and use this to build companies and institutions in the future that can avoid these mistakes, right? That is, you know, that's what's a lot more powerful. Exactly, exactly. Better governance, better, you know, uh, sort of 
just like risk checks, better um, better permissioning. I mean, I mean, there, there's all kinds of angles for this, right? Obviously, one one big angle is the question of you know whether it even makes sense to have these big centralized entities intermediating transactions in what is fundamentally supposed to be like an open, permissionless, transparent, and decentralized uh, financial system, right? Does it even make sense to do that? Maybe the answer is yes, right? Maybe the answer is that the technology uh, to make these kinds of things completely decentralized is not there, and we need centralized intermediaries in order to bridge that gap. But maybe the answer is that we just need to try a bit harder, right? I think those are really the questions that we should be grappling with. Um, and I, I think assigning blame has its place. I think it's important. I think we should, you know, see the trial through and all that stuff, right? Make sure that justice is served. But after that, you know, I, I, it would be really unfortunate if we just kind of stop talking about this after that, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think what I would like to see is a world in which, you know, we, we, we see the trial through and then we ask ourselves, like, how do we build new companies or protocols or businesses or whatever, that are able to fix these issues going forward and are able to realize the true value proposition of cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, hopefully, you know, it's not, um, it's not more of the same. Um, but we, you know, what's funny is, you know, we've seen similar collapses in schemes like this in the traditional market. So it's nothing inherent to crypto that, you know, yeah. this sort of rehypothecation or fractional reserves or, misallocation of money or like very recently with all these banks that have the duration mismatch buying a bunch of these long bonds, etc. Um, you know, and so there, there's lots of holes and balance sheets all over the place. Obviously, uh, Sam Bankman frieds was was egregious, um, but it's nothing inherent to crypto. And I think that, you know, that's one thing I want listeners to understand is, you know, while this probably this event did set the market back, um, we did lose a lot of credibility. We also see, like you said, a lot of the lenders that went under um, were, were doing shady shit as well. I saw, you know, the Voyager um, CEO, who's he's actually been on the show before um, a long time ago. Um, you know, he was just—I um, don't know if it was indicted or, or some or um, accused of fraud, or maybe he was founded as being fraudulent by the CFTC. This was just coming out um, the last couple of days. And so there, there was lots mm-hmm. of stuff, but also, you know, banks go through a lot of this stuff. And I think um, the reason why, you know, banks now have such tight regulations and all that stuff is because these kinds of she- schemes did happen, right? In the early days of banking, the Wild West and all that kind of stuff. And so we're just in that, you know, that early phase of a new technology, of a new, um, where, where, you know, bad actors kind of get in and, and use an agnostic technology to, to bad ends. Um, and so hopefully, um, you know, like you said, we, we all collectively learn from this and there's better risk controls. There's better, um, you know, um, sort of, hopefully it's, you know, a lot more DeFi, a lot more on chain so that we could actually see where the money's moving at all times and all that kind of stuff. Um, less, less obfuscation, um, and just more transparent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess my question. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think I that's. To... Yeah, no, no. I think I think I think you're spot on, right? I think I think that you know specifically the 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 point that you made about uh, duration mismatch, for example, being you know that, that's that's not something that's new to crypto, right? It's it's something right. that's been around for ages, and it's it's kind of funny, you know, we we had the FTX collapse, and then shortly after we had 
you know, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic and mm -hmm. all of these, you know, very traditional uh, banks, right, traditional institutions that um, it was the exact same thing, right? It, it's, it's just, it, it was literally just duration mismatch. Um, and so this is nothing new, right? It's not something that is inherent to cryptocurrency. Um, it, it's, you know, in fact, it, it's, it's precisely the fact that a lot of laws and regulations are not that well-defined for digital assets in many jurisdictions, including the U.S. That is precisely what pushed exchanges like FTX offshore. Mm -hmm. And that's precisely what enabled them in many ways to perpetuate, or excuse me, to perpetrate uh, the fraud that they did, right? Mm -hmm. And so really, I think the lesson from this is that, you know, major jurisdictions need to actually get their act together and put together some comprehensive regulations that lay out how, you know, crypto custody is supposed to operate, how DeFi is supposed to operate, how crypto exchanges uh, are supposed to operate, because so many of these things are not well-defined right now. And that's what's pushing so much of this business offshore, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's that's a big lesson we can learn, is like, if you want people to follow the rules, then you got to actually write the rules and make it legible and make it easy to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know they got the stablecoin bill that they're trying to suss out. They've got the digital asset market structure bill they're trying to still suss out in Congress and and get voted on. And so I think state by state, there's there's lots of laws and lots of new laws that are coming. But to get that federal kind of overarching uh, regulation, it, it it should only help and, and give clarity to companies all throughout the states. Um, and yeah, so so let me ask you this. Um, where do you, you know, as we kind of transition, because I do want to talk about your new project, Astra, and learn about um, what you're building there. But before I get to that, as a kind of a transitional question, um, you know, where is this market going? Again, you know, we, we talked about how this has set us back, um, but there is a lot of brightness ahead, whether it's the, the Bitcoin ETF, uh, the Bitcoin halving, um, lots of innovation going on. Just generally, where do you see this market going and, and do you have an optimistic outlook? Yeah, I, I, I do have a very optimistic outlook. I mean, obviously, we're in sort of a lull right now in terms of, mark, um, in terms of the market. You know, trading mm -hmm. volumes are, 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 are certainly down compared to, say, like this time last year. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm super optimistic, right? I think one, you know, one really good sign is the fact that recently, I think just um, a day or two ago, uh, we had this announcement that the SEC would not be contesting uh, the recent decision, which basically ruled their uh, disapproval of a spot Bitcoin ETF as arbitrary and capricious, right? Basically, mm -hmm. you know, meaning that, that that's, that's an extremely positive sign for the approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF in the near future. Um, and once that happens, I mean, that's going to unlock just a huge design space for ETFs of you know, Bitcoin, ETH, and potentially other assets, depending on, you know, whether or not they classify as securities, which is something that still is, is kind of up in the air in the case of many, many assets. Um, so that's something that's super optimistic. Um, there's the halving coming up pretty soon. Um, and just like there's so many people building in this space, right? There's so many new projects. There's a bunch of new L1s and L2s that either have come out in the past few months or will be releasing in the next um, uh, in the next several months to a year. Uh, there's so many exciting new projects on existing blockchains, right? There's, you know, take um, Solana, for example, they have their new Fire Dancer client, which should be finalized at some point soon. So many cool things happening within Ethereum, Cosmos, you know, all these different ecosystems. So I'm super enthusiastic. I mean, that's why I'm choosing to stay in the space and build in the space. And I think uh, pretty soon we should be, um, we should be seeing volumes pick up again. We should be seeing a lot more activity 
um, in terms of developer activity and uh, uh, and hopefully a lot more uh, really great companies emerging out of this uh, bear market. Yeah, no, I, I think um, you know the ETF is something that you know most people you know they might have heard about, but you know not really understanding why it could be so big and kind of the short of it is that you know endowments and pensions and you know large institutional firms, uh, all these different um, you know offices, right, will finally be able to get you know exposure to the underlying asset of Bitcoin. Um, you know, and, and not have to maintain custody of their own keys, right? Which is a lot of, you know, or, or go on like a Coinbase exchange or an FTX, God forbid, right? It's like they're now able to get that, you know, even, uh, you know, your IRA, your 401k, you know, all of that, you'll be able to, with the click of a button in your Fidelity account or your Vanguard account, with the click of a button, transfer your savings or your investment account into that, uh, into Bitcoin at the snap of a button. So it makes the whole process of buying and selling uh, Bitcoin just much, much easier and, and really in that wrapper that most uh, most people uh, are, are familiar with. And so, yeah, I know, you know my, my dad has said he's waiting for the Bitcoin ETF so that he could start buying and trading Bitcoin because he's like, you know, I'm not going to go get a, a ledger or anything like that. He doesn't want to deal with it. And I think that's probably the sentiment for, for the majority of people, you know, Oh yeah, you know, absolutely right. I mean, nobody wants to deal with it, and so if you could trust, uh, you know, th this product um, from a trustworthy name that's been around for decades with trillions of dollars, I mean, that's that's really why people keep talking about this ETF because it's it's just got magnificent, magnificent impact. Um, but but let's take a look at what you're building with Astra. Um, tell us about it at a high level and, and why this was the particular route that you decided to go. Um, you know, you could have gone anywhere. Hell, you could have left. You probably made enough money at uh, Alameda to, you know, maybe not work for a couple of years, but you're like, hey, I, I like this industry. I'm sticking around. Um, tell us about it. Yeah. So um, what we're building with Astra, like, you know, sort of the, the, the brief description is that we are building, you know, fast, robust, reliable and extensive connectivity for crypto markets. And what mm -hmm. that means is, you know, if you look at, uh, the space of infrastructure in traditional markets, say, you know, um, equities or commodity derivatives and stuff like that, uh, the infrastructure space is very well fleshed out. And if you are an individual, you know, a trader, a business, anyone who wants to be able to connect to those markets, there are existing providers, infrastructure providers and technology providers who can give you that connectivity to markets, which includes, you know, real-time market data, for example, or low latency order execution, or things like uh, you know historical market data. If you want to do back testing or analysis or stuff like that, all of that already exists in the world of traditional markets. For crypto, uh, it's it's not that easy, right? I mean, crypto markets are significantly more fragmented than traditional markets. Instead of having one or two exchanges, you have hundreds of exchanges, which include many centralized venues, and you have decentralized venues, which are split across dozens of different blockchains. So it's a much more fragmented space from a technology point of view. And what we're doing at Astra is we are building the core infrastructure layer for all crypto markets, which means if you are a individual or business who wants to, for example, you know, read real-time market data or read historical market data or place orders on any exchange across all of crypto, you can do that through our interface. 
and we provide a few different you know versions of the interface we have an api product for you know more uh, uh, developers and companies we have a, a a unified trading platform for you know retail traders or pro traders who want to use a unified interface across all the different crypto exchanges so um, our goal is to be the central infrastructure layer for all crypto markets um, and to make that process super easy and super reliable and it sounds like um it's more than just a um like a coin order routing system uh, for centralized exchanges. If I understand correctly, it, it'd also be interoperable with uh, decentralized exchanges and, and um, on-chain infrastructure. Is that right? Exactly. That's that's one of the key value adds. You know, there's a lot of companies yeah. um, in the space that that have done something like this, but for a few select centralized exchanges. And what we realized is that you know that's not enough for most people. There's a right. lot of traders who want to access liquidity not just on centralized venues but also on dexes, especially for a lot of the you know long tail of crypto assets where liquidity does not really exist that much on centralized exchanges, and you kind of have to go to these dexes. And we are unifying all of those things, putting it under one hood with one simple, easy to use interface across all the different venues. So, so from our point of view, we don't care if it's a centralized exchange, a decentralized protocol, or even an OTC desk, we give you one interface to all of those platforms. And so how would it work with, um, for instance, I mean, there, there's different levels of, uh, of wallet security, right? Um, you know, for instance, a hot wallet, like a MetaMask or a phantom wallet or something. Um, and then all the way on the other end of the spectrum, there's like, you know, multi-party computation and multi-sig stuff like Fireblocks or Copper and Anchorage. You know, tell us a little bit you know, you don't need to get too into the weeds because I know you're an engineer and most people listening are not engineers, but how would it work with giving over my signing privileges to Astra? Will I get prompted like, hey, there's a good deal, you know, click buy or reject or, or how does that kind of work? Yeah. So the beautiful thing is that is that you actually don't have to give us any permissions at all. In fact, you retain a, a full ownership of your keys, whether that's okay. your API keys at exchanges or private keys in the case of in the case of you know various various blockchain networks. The way it works right now is we basically provide software for the user to use, and the user is able to run this locally on their own system, whether that's their laptop in the case of you know a trader who wants to use our unified trading UI, or it can run on. Um, your own server if you're a company that wants to use our API product and the keys never leave your device and you retain full ownership of those keys and those and those um, uh, 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 passwords. Uh, we are working on a custody solution uh, probably using MPC uh, which is the same technology that Fireblocks uses to do their custody. So that if you do want to give us the ability to store your assets, we can do the custody for you and we can handle the keys for you and you can use us also as a custody platform. But for now, the way it works is we integrate with your existing custody, which means that you can use Fireblocks, you can use Copper, you can use Anchorage, or you can use you know self-custody, just your own uh, uh, blockchain private keys. And we integrate with each of those platforms so you never have to give us custody of anything. Yeah. No, I think I think that sounds incredible. Um, I think that's a huge part of um, you know what why people are so attracted to crypto is they they see things that collapse in the traditional markets. They even you know they see things collapse in the the crypto markets, and it, a lot of it comes back to who's custodying your assets, right? And so um, with with having um, more qualified custodians, literally like by the the definition of a qualified custodian and um, you know, some of those, you know, are, are very, very, very secure. 
Um, but you know, you even have, um, you know, uh, folks like yourself who, I mean, w- do you think that you would be able to reach that level of being considered a qualified custodian or would it have to, you know, would, would, would there be a certain different delineation for, for how you guys would be considered? Yeah. Uh, so at the moment, uh, we, we classify ourselves as purely a technology platform, which means we do not handle custody at the moment. We also don't act as a counterparty to any trades. So we are simply a technology layer that is connecting you, the user, with various crypto exchanges, protocols, and other trading venues. So at the moment, you know, there's basically no custody. There's no you know, actual handling of transactions. It's more just you know, we handle routing and we handle infrastructure, uh, but we don't actually execute any trades ourselves. Now, we want to offer some add-on services in the future for users who, like, let's say there's a bunch of our users who are using the platform, and instead of, you know, matching their trades on an exchange's matching engine, which incurs an extra, you know, five basis points of fees for the user, what if we match these trades against each other, right? That would be kind of the natural next step of a service like this. So that's kind of the natural evolution that we have planned for the product, where we start as no custody, then we evolve into, you know, probably offering custody just for uh, blockchain assets, and then eventually offering custody for fiat as well, and registering as a qualified custodian, and then having a matching engine, matching our users' trades together, and kind of, you know, keep giving users what they want. But we're starting with, you know, the the, the simplest possible version of this, which is just uh, technology for unifying crypto markets. Yeah, and it sounds like, um, as you say, it's it's the simplest version, you know, V1, it's the start, but it definitely sounds like it's uh, quite complex and, and intensive in terms of capital and uh, human capital as well. So um, are you guys raising money? Um, have you raised money? Is there maybe even a token associated with Astra? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we raised our first round of money. We raised uh, 2 million a few months ago, which was our, our, our you know seed or pre-seed run, depending on how you look at it. And uh, we have a small team at the moment. We're basically building the product, talking to our first few users and, and really finalizing the, uh, the design and, 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 and just functionality of our V1 product. Um, uh, if anyone seeing this wants to use the product, feel free to reach out. You can find us at astra-api.dev. That's astra-api.dev. Uh, you can also find us on on, on Twitter. Um, you, you can also find us on my own personal Twitter, which I think should be. Uh, maybe you can link it in the description if that works. Yeah, um, But yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll link all that in the in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. But but basically, at the moment, uh, uh, just sort of building the product with our first round of funding. And uh, trying to get that out to users and um, uh, just iterating from there. Awesome. So, so there's um, just to be clear, um, you know, is there or is there not a token associated? Because I don't want users to go, you know, look for the Astra oh, yeah, token yeah. and they find something else. And oh yeah, like, no. oh, that wasn't me. <laughs> right. Yeah, Astra, yeah, yeah, yeah. Astra, Astra is sort of an overloaded term, so we have no association with. I think there's a Astra protocol or something. We right. we, we are not associated with them. Uh, uh, we are. Uh, uh, no token, right? So we are a, a, a very boring um, uh, SaaS business model, uh, not planning to offer a token at any point. So if you see an Astra token, uh, it's, it's definitely not associated with us. It's probably a different team. Um, in terms of what we're trying to do, you know, we're, we're a pretty standard company. I, I, I have kind of mixed, mixed views on the whole token sale thing. I think it's probably not the best way to incentivize adoption for a product like ours. So we're sticking with the pretty normal fundraising model of offering equity for cash, 
Uh, and in terms of users, we just have a really good product that we're giving users to use and uh, folks can sign up for a subscription to use the product or have, you know, like like, like a longer term enterprise deal um, if you like. And uh, we're, we're thinking about a few a few ways to price uh, some of our add-on services, but it's, it's, it's a pretty standard SaaS business for now. Awesome. And, and before I let you go, I got two more questions. Um, first question will be like, you know, I, I know you mentioned, you, you know, you're not super hot on uh, some of the fundraising mechanisms that crypto tokens and projects have kind of undergone. Um, which tokens do you like? And not necessarily saying like, oh, give me your, you know, your shill of which coins, but which models do you like? Do you like the layer twos? Do you like the value accrual mechanisms of certain DeFi, you know, coins? Like, what is it that you find interesting and, and valid in the market? That's a good question. Uh, in terms of what tokens I like to, you know, actually purchase and own long term for myself, um, yeah. I like to stick with the basics. I mean, I own Bitcoin and Ether pretty much um, and, and small amounts of a bunch of other tokens. But those are really the two main ones just because, you know, they've, they've been around for quite some time. Uh, they've demonstrated their value and their relative stability. I mean, obviously, there's tons of volatility, but uh, compared to a lot of other assets out there, I'm, I'm pretty happy with uh, their price stability over the past several years. And also, they, you know, kind of have, um, they, they, they seem to have some significant amount of staying power, right? In terms of, you know, both Bitcoin and Ether, it, it seems like the SEC is not really trying to pursue them as, as potential securities. Uh, they already have... Um, regulated futures products listed on the CME, both for Bitcoin and Ether. Uh, they will probably both have spot ETFs approved soon. And so just the regulatory landscape and everything for those two tokens, it seems to be the most promising, which is why I personally stick with those. In terms of, you know, more more generally, like which blockchain projects I support, I mean, there's all kinds of cool projects, right? Really, I think, um, you know, each each project has like its, its thing that it's known for. Like, you know, obviously Bitcoin, uh, what's legendary about Bitcoin is, is is just the origin story, right? It being one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and also being just, you know, uh, the largest in terms of market cap and, and, and just the story of, you know, having having no founder essentially is incredibly compelling as just a narrative for the actual asset. Um, Ether, of course, you know, the founding story of that is, is super interesting. Um, the actual product and the research behind it is is highly involved. Uh, and there's a bunch of other projects, right? There's Solana, which has its its you know um, uh, really really fast and efficient parallel VM. You have Cosmos with its whole you know sharded blockchain architecture. And so each thing has like a really unique uh, technological advantage. I think it still remains to be seen which of these will emerge as the victor, so to speak, or, or even if that you know is that even a question that makes sense. Maybe right. not, right? Maybe there's going to be some, you know, highly multi-chain future where people are using all of these different chains in, in many different ways. Um, really, I think I think we we need to wait and see uh, where that goes. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. And I, you know, I've definitely gotten, you know, blowback for, for my views and stuff because, you know, we'll bring on Bitcoin maxis and, you know, I'll make the case for a multi-chain future. I'm like, you know, in what world is there one company, Right. No, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of stocks, millions and millions of private companies. Okay, what world is there just one currency? No, there's there's hundreds of different fiat currencies, right? Like it's you know the world always kind of tends towards that fractured nature of of many choices, right? And so 
for people to say Bitcoin and Bitcoin only, and there's never going to be value of anything else and everything else is going to go to zero. It's like, that just doesn't, you know, that doesn't make sense to me. And, and so it, it sounds like you're kind of on the same, same wavelength there, that there, there will be um, many different ones. Of course, some are going to be more successful than others, right? I didn't say there's, there's thousands of companies that are better than Amazon. It's like Amazon's like probably the best company in the world, right? Or Apple, like they, their products are just the best. Um, so, it's, you know, it's yet to be seen who the victor will be, right? But, you know, I always push back on the maxis that there's not just going to be Bitcoin. I'm sorry. We could already see that's not how the world's working. But, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> this has been incredible. I, I've I've really loved this discussion. Um, and truly one of my favorites. Um, and, and, you know, all my listeners know I do not say that every single time. So um, thank you for coming on. Um, I, I got one last question. Um, and it's just like, you know, again, you know, you, you used, you know, you had respect for certain people. That respect is gone. As the chaos was unfolding, which leaders or who in the crypto space did you kind of see as admirable? Um, you know, obviously a lot of people say Vitalik or, um, you know, Satoshi, people always, you know, reference him. But I'm curious, you know, was there anybody that kind of stood out as a strong leader during this period that you've had a newfound respect for? That's a great question. Um, I'm going to have to think about that. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there are, of course, the standard answers of, you know, I, I, I of course, respect and admire Vitalik and, and, and all the other Ethereum founders. Um, and, of course, Satoshi. Uh, but uh, I'm going to try to go with a different answer. Um, okay, someone who I respect and admire, who I only came to know about recently, uh, but who's been, you know, kind of um, uh, doing a lot of like talks and debates recently is um, Eric Voorhees, who mm. is, you know, one of the um, original, you know, Bitcoin evangelists and, and recently um, has sort of taken the spotlight for, uh, having this debate with SBF back in, I think, October or, or, or November of last year, which actually was right before the collapse of FTX, totally. where uh, it, was, it was a debate about, about uh, crypto policy in the US, I think. And Sam, at the time, had just put out this proposal, which many people perceived as being like, a, like an unfair advantage for FTX, and he was trying to get that passed by lawmakers. And uh, in this debate, Sam basically got destroyed by Eric Voorhees, who who made the very good point that, you know, um, uh, there's various laws and regulations that exist that prevent, you know, for example, people in the U.S. Uh, sending money to brave protesters in Iran simply because of government sanctions between these two countries, which, you know, I'm sure there's geopolitical reasons for that. But should we as citizens be... Um, you know, really happy about the fact that these sanctions exist? Certainly not. And and um, while there may be some benefit, you know, the fact that you cannot support, you know, a, a, a brave um, person who is campaigning for women's rights, for example, in, in some repressive country, that is, that's not something good, right? I mean, that's, that's a, it's an unfair restriction on your right as a human being. And that was a very good point that he made. And it, it was a very um, interesting debate where I think Eric Voorhees emerged as just a really impressive thinker, right? Mm -hmm. And and more recently, he gave a very good keynote speech at one one of the recent conferences. I think it may have been permissionless. Yeah, just just an amazing speech, right? I, I would highly recommend listening to it. Um, 
he, like one, he's just a great speaker in terms of you know his style of speech and the way that he delivers it, but also the content is is incredibly inspiring uh, for anyone who's who's in the space, either either observing or building or just a believer in in, in the power of cryptocurrencies and blockchains. Um, I would highly recommend checking it out. I think I think he's someone I've been very impressed with recently. Yeah, no, I, I think the um, I think it was called like uh, why we are here or something like that. Yeah. I'm sure. You, yeah. Like if you guys go ahead and, you know, at home, Google Eric Voorhees, V-O-O-R-H-E-E-S or something like that. Um, Eric with a K, super smart guy. That's a great shout out. In fact, he's never been shouted out on the show before. And we ask this question all the time. And I think that was a great mm-hmm. call out. So um, yeah, everybody should look up that talk from Permissionless. Man, Adi, this was incredible. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story and, and sharing your project and, and what you're looking forward to in the future. So I hope we get you back on again sometime soon and we could talk markets and maybe uh, do do some more uh, specific analysis on what's going on. You obviously have got a, a great trading background and uh, yeah, we, we look forward to crossing paths again with you, man. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Bryce. It was great talking to you. And yeah, we'd love to be on again sometime. Uh, let's let's stay in touch. Cool. All right. Everybody at home listening, hope you enjoyed. Uh, come back again, same time, same place next week. And we're going to have some more fantastic guests for you on the Crypto 101 podcast. Cheers. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. 
And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.